The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And I am so delighted to welcome back one of my early guests, Mr. Stephen Ritz. He is a South Bronx educator and administrator and one of the top 10 finalists for the Global Teacher Prize with very good reason. He happened to give a TED Talk for the Manhattan TED Talk series in March of 2015 where he described his growing work with the Green Bronx Machine. But basically what Mr. Ritz has done is moved generations of students into spheres of personal and academic successes that they have never imagined. And so with 30,000 pounds of vegetables and rebuilding the Bronx through food, we are going to get a taste of what true education can do for students. So welcome, Mr. Ritz. Well, welcome to me and welcome to you and hello, everybody. I'm just delighted to be here. Well, you have won so many awards for your work. What a teacher. Tell me something. I need to know first, tell me about the Bronx. What is the South Bronx like? Well, the Bronx is changing. The Bronx is building. We are determined to grow something greater here. And I always say the Bronx can change attitudes now. And that's exactly what we are doing. And to your point, 30,000 pounds of vegetables later, my favorite crop is organically grown citizens, graduates, members of the middle class, kids who are going to college, proof that, you know, the borough that gave birth to baggy pants and funky fresh beets can be home to organically grown red ones with, you know, hyper-local markets and equal opportunity for all. Well, you know, in your TED Talk, you describe what the lives of your students are like. So these children are growing up oftentimes in single-parent homes. You've got an over 90% of children there in your schools qualify for free and reduced price lunch, meaning they're living in poverty. 99% qualify for free and reduced lunch. Where I'm working now, not to cut you off, is Claremont Village. I work in the largest stretch of public housing in the South Bronx, in the poorest congressional district in America. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is probably one of the most challenged communities I've ever been a part of. And whether it is design or default, I mean, it is just a very tough, challenging place to live under the best of circumstances. Yeah, and it's tough, I'm sure, to be a teacher there. Well, it is tough to be a teacher here. Well, you know, listen, it's also wonderful to be a teacher here because I get more love than any one human being should ever be privy to. But it's tough in terms of geographically, it's a tough neighborhood to get to. Traffic is dense. There is no parking. It is a neighborhood under siege, be it police activity, constant reconstruction, constant poor construction, ridiculously crafted parking laws, and it's just too dense. I mean, it is just tower upon tower upon tower of person here in a neighborhood that's not equipped to handle it, that doesn't have the infrastructure for it. So, you know, getting to work here is tough. It's a bus to a train or, you know, a train to a bus to a walk in a neighborhood that is, you know, has a lot of crime has a lot of grit to it and, you know, is, is not always user-friendly. Mm-hmm. But that said, the love that we get here and the appreciation from the community and from the students makes it all well worth it. Well, it's really the work 
of good teachers like you that make such a difference in children's lives, and I think that's extremely evident. One of the things that you said that really struck me as a dietitian is, and this was in your TED Talk, I believe, one of the many presentations I've seen you, and you're just terrific, but one of the things you said was that a lot of your students have been diagnosed with learning disabilities that could have been prevented with simply good nutrition, but that's not where we're putting our dollars. We're we're putting our dollars farther downstream when little children become broken men. And as you say, right. it's easier to fix fix kids no, when they're little. It is easier to raise healthy children than fix broken men, and that's why I'm putting my stake in the ground right here in elementary school, in public school 55, in the heart of Claremont Village, because I do believe it is easier to raise healthy children than fix broken men. And the most remarkable thing, is forgetting what I may believe or what you may believe. I'm going to share with you some student data. My students in this school on an independent survey commissioned by the Department of Education, they indicated that the biggest obstacle, the biggest barrier to their success in school, self-identified is not grumpy teachers, is not bullying, is not facilities, it's not the emphasis on testing, it's not the racial divide or the economic divide. It is their own personal health and well-being. These are little kids talking about their biggest obstacle to succeed in school is their own health and well-being. How wrong is that? Self-care so trumps health care, and we've got to realize that input equals output. And if we give these kids good inputs, we're going to get better outputs, and that's what it's about. I have some classes where over 80% of the children here have someone in their immediate family with diabetes. How crazy is that? Mm-hmm. It's just absurd to me. I have 200-pound fifth graders and sixth graders. We have elementary school kids now routinely going through, going through puberty, and that's childhood lost. And I believe it's largely due to what we're eating, how we're eating, and what we are putting into these neighborhoods. So the act of growing food, of creating life, of teaching children that food is a living, breathing thing just like them, and they can grow it and align it, most importantly, to outstanding academic outcomes, to me makes perfect sense. And that's what we're doing here in the South Bronx. We are redefining public education. We're not using food. We're not doing food education. We are educating with food for a triple bottom line. So how did you discover the power of growing food with kids and describe where it is. Now, you're growing food not in a green lot or a spare on a rooftop. You're growing it in the classroom. And how did you discover the power that that could have? Well, the power of growing food is amazing. And I ask everybody just to take that moment back and remember when you were in nursery school or kindergarten and you did that lima bean thing. You put the lima bean in the paper and you saw the roots sprout and you saw the leaves grow. That is a miracle. And, you know, to this day, I marvel. I could put a seed in the ground and three months later have a six-foot plant. But, you know, my own experience is that I am not a farmer. I was never a farmer. I wasn't born to farm, although now I say I'm a people farmer. I always like to frame things in what I am and what I am as opposed to what I am not. So I'm a people farmer. But I learned that the miracle of growing food could really change lives. But to your point, we are growing food 52 weeks a year, four stories up, in a 100-plus-year-old school building in a converted library, and our goal is to send 100 bags of locally grown vegetables home weekly, 52 weeks a year, to a community that has limited means and limited access to healthy, fresh food. Yeah. Aligned to Common Core, an outstanding school and academic performance. Well, you've had some tremendous data of success. So you've moved daily attendance rates from 40% to 93%, and 100% passing rates on New York State examinations. 
Yes, that's true, but don't credit me, credit the kids. But with targeted kids in the past, with overage, undercredited kids, by giving them an opportunity to, to succeed, by using project-based learning, by engaging them, by making, giving them a stake in their own future and a stake in their own neighborhood, we have moved those who have been apart from to becoming a part of in ways that are wholly beneficial to all. And I firmly believe that no student rises to low expectations. So the higher I set them, the higher I can bring them. And I believe that kids get up and leave the house every day determined to succeed, and it's my obligation to meet them and enable that. Well, I think that in these times when we've got a Congress that is cutting beneficial food programs for low-income families, what you're doing is filling such a niche for hungry children. You said something else about how in a civilized nation, children shouldn't be hungry. Right. Civilized nations work together to cure hunger, especially because we have the technology and the ability to do that. Civilized nations educate their children. They feed their children. They grow something greater, and they work together to combat poverty. They don't place profits above people and the planet. So, you know, for so long, people get so excited about food drives. But we can't keep doing food drives one can at a time. It's kind of like the old fire bucket brigade. You know, put out fire, pass a bucket, pass a bucket, pass a bucket. We need to look at wholly systemic change. That's and right. more importantly, we need to look at systemic change that's going to impact the environment because the world is getting more crowded. It's getting hotter. It's getting, you know, it's getting flatter. Soil is leaving. Water is precious. So when you teach kids to use resources efficaciously in their own community to generate a commodity and also generate a necessity that gives them life, wow, that's game-changing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I want you to paint a picture for our listeners of what you've got going on in the classroom. You've got these towers of of greens growing. How does that work? Well, I am now very proud to be using tower garden and future growing technology in my class. I'm using aeroponic technology to grow food. In fact, my facility is net positive on food and energy. I like to say that my kids are 21st century solutionaries. So we are using 90% less water, 90% less space, using aeroponic technology, so the water is not running constantly. We're on about seven minutes out of 30 using a seven-watt pump, and we're growing food vertically. So I'm not losing precious real estate, because as we all know, in New York City, real estate is so precious. I'm not using anything fixed. Everything I do is on wheels. Everything is portable. But more importantly, I have plant police. I have leaf monitors. I have pH patrol. I have kids who can talk about things that are related to the health of their plants and then the health of their body and their environment in ways they've never imagined. For example, we're constantly testing pH of water because the kids want optimal pH ranges for their plants to ensure their health. Then we'll do this thing like we'll test the pH of soda. And when kids realize how acidic soda is and how horrible certain things that are part of their daily life are because they relate it to their plans, they make these decisions that stay with them for the rest of their life. Oh, that's basically to eat healthier, be healthier. If you wouldn't do it to your plants, you sure shouldn't do it to yourself. That's what we say. But I've got kids reading to plants. I've got kids nurturing plants. I've got kids inspecting and doing things they've never imagined. And when I tell those kids to be quiet, the plants are having sex, OMG. <laughs> oh, that's that's terrific. I mean, I love seeing kids pollinate plants instead of each other. I had 30 kids up in the library the other day dressed as bees, and they were learning about what bees do and why they're important and how they work, and the kids got to be the bee. Uh, now how I do like you... to say we were buzzing up there. <laughs> how do you fund this work, Steve? Well, that's a great question. We are not well-funded, so I want to put that right out there. 
I guess it's public radio, so we're kind of funded by testicular fortitude, me putting my mouth and my body forward. A lot of it is self-funded. You know, I want to put my money where my mouth is, and I believe in the future of my community and my kids. So I believe that if I have a stake in the, in the game, success is the only option. We're starting to find some funding sources, but right now we have a barn raiser campaign to build the National Health and Wellness Center here at PS55. You can look up the Green Bronx Machine barn raiser. You can visit us on our Green Bronx Machine Facebook page, and by the way, it's student-run. Or you can go to our Green Bronx Machine website, which also, by the way, is student-run. So we are definitely looking for funding. We're looking for corporate partners, but we're looking for the right kind of partners and the right kind of people to get involved. But we have a wonderful barn raiser campaign, so please, if you have $1, $5, $100, uh, please donate $5 and tell five people to do the same. We're actually giving away an incredible blender that you can't even buy for $150. It has a $300-something dollar value for $150, um, and we'll ship it to you. It's built in America by veterans, so it's, it's a triple bottom line kind of approach. But right now, we are self-funded. We are beholden to nobody, and that's kind of interesting because I believe what we are creating is the new normal. Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with a remarkable educator, Mr. Steve Ritz. He is based in the South Bronx, and his project is called the Green Bronx Machine. I had a chance to meet Mr. Ritz, oh gosh, this is probably five or six years ago, and you said something then that stuck with me. You said you were moving kids from crack to cucumbers. And I thought, how interesting to be able to take children and turn them into productive citizens, excellent students, seeing remarkable changes in attendance rates and student scores simply by giving them something to care about and growing healthful food, which is not accessible in their neighborhoods. Well, that's exactly true. You got to, you got to meet some of those kids who went from crack to cucumbers. And that's the reality of our society. I mean, many kids who I see, second opportunity kids or kids who have made bad decisions, whether it's nature or nurture, that's a whole different story. But I believe a lot of kids who are in the criminal justice system would not be there simply if they had better advocacy. But more important, if they had better options. So I believe a lot of kids there are due to default. I mean, no kid would want to grow up and be a drug dealer if it was the same amount of money as it was in Burger King. Now, the sad reality is for many of my kids, they're basically working for the 99-cent menu and a pair of sneakers committing felony crimes because of the need to sell drugs, because of that proliferation. So when you switch the product, and basically, as we said then, we're switching the product and the size of the plastic bag to something that is far more beneficial to everybody, they are embracing that opportunity to succeed. Listen, neither jail nor retail is a living wage. So by creating living wage opportunities for my children, in communities and also aligned to communities of wealth and privilege, we're really creating a multiplier effect for everybody. Five short miles and six long degrees of separation come between Manhattan, the Upper East Side, Park Avenue, and my Park Avenue, the South Bronx, Claremont Village. But that great divide presents the greatest opportunity for a multiplier effect, for transformation, because we have the ability to grow food here for a fraction of the cost with incredible quality and get it to them. Plus, the budding food industry presents a wealth of opportunities for second opportunity students in culinary, in real restaurants, as sweet chefs, as prep cooks, as caterers, as all kinds of things. And that, to me, is exciting. And most importantly, for kids who have had very limited success in their past, you know, the restaurant industry, the food industry, not fast food, but real food industry, creates a lot of low-hanging fruit. The success is there. It's accessible daily. Um, you know, you can grow with it, you can do it, you can feel it, you can touch it, you can taste it, you can feel it, you're immersed in it. It's a wonderful thing. So it is a whole new economy and a whole new opportunity, and it is rooted in health and wellness. 
And I'm sure for some of these kids, they haven't even tasted these foods before. Tell me, you know, some of the children that you've had come through, and you're growing tomatoes, you're growing lettuce. They eat these foods, and... I am growing 37 kinds of fruits, vegetables, and herbs, because plants that have seeds are fruit. You know, I talk about, I do this whole anti-bullying routine with the tomato, because the tomato's so conflicted. He wants to be a vegetable, but he's really a seed. So we have to embrace, you know, we have to embrace that. I mean, he's really a fruit because he has seeds. So it's important for kids to know that. It's important for kids. I didn't even, I, 10 years ago, I couldn't tell you 10 fruits and vegetables. Now I'm growing 37 kinds. And most importantly, when my kids go to Whole Foods, they tell me, Mr. Rich, tomatoes and, and, and apples, they're like people. They come in all shapes, sizes, and colors, and they all have a unique quality about them. And that's wonderful. As opposed to something that comes in a Ziploc bag that, you know, is passed to them through some bulletproof window with endless shelf life. These are the critical lessons. Yeah. So do the children have an opportunity to sell the produce that they grow, or is it basically taken home to eat? Tell me about how that all works. In my previous model at my high school, when I was at a high school, we did have an entrepreneurial model. We were actually selling food both in school to parents and community members. We had a farmer's market. We also did some wonderful projects with Whole Foods and Fresh Direct, so I want to give both of them the credit where it's due for being innovative and being supportive. But now, here in an elementary school, I've got kids who show up hungry. They show up hungry the minute they get here, and they stay hungry all day long. So we are delighted to give it to kids. We have lunch and learn programs. We're giving away food every day. We're eating it every day. And most importantly, on Friday, we're sending kids home to their families with food that they grew in school. And just like, you know, in the 50s and 60s and 70s when advertisers wanted to have that mommy, mommy, mommy effect, when kids experience this food at a young age, they develop a taste for it. They develop a desire for it. And even if they don't, they're still so cute and adorable that the parents say yes. And that's important because that means everybody at home is getting healthy, fresh food. They're getting some kind of nutritional quality that they might not get elsewhere if it weren't for us. Now, are you working with the Department of Health? Have they been monitoring the changes in the kids' health too? Well, we have a health clinic here on school, but I will tell you some of the most impressive data. At TS55, we've only been here since September 2014, and we're still in our infancy. But this year, school year to date, we have seen a 50% reduction in out-of-class time and behavioral incidents with the kids who come to my classroom to farm. So that means kids are learning. They are working for the privilege of coming to get on the bicycle because we have bicycle-powered blenders to make a smoothie. And if I can get kids all week to come to school and do what they need to do to keep growing food and get on the bicycle to have a smoothie instead of a big soda, the victories benefit all of us. Yeah. I am it's a whole new culture here. I have kids bringing salad to class. We have lunch and learn with the principal. It is awesome. I am sure that the students have taught you many lessons. Why don't you tell me a few of those? Well, I am just blessed to have the most beautiful, kind, loving students in the world, whether it's the cute little guys or the big older ones who give me a lot of gratitude. I mean, they show up. They show up daily. They're here. They're enthused. They're engaged. They're involved. I have a reading and seating program. Today, I just gave away a whole set of Captain Underpants books to my most successful seedling generator. And we were, you know, we were looking at the percentage of germination and the ratios of germinating seeds. And what did the kid do? Well, he did it so well that he earned himself some books. So he's going to go home and read. So we call it reading and seeding. And that's what this is about, kids who want to do the right thing, kids who are so proud to go and bring their teacher a head of lettuce or some fresh fruit and talk about it, or some fresh vegetables, kids who want to share it with their parents, and realize in my particular community here in Claremont Village, 
you have a lot of first-generation students, people who came here from other countries because there was no food. So when we start growing culturally relevant food, guess what? Parents and grandparents and elders and caretakers start showing up at school. And when they start showing up at school to see this miracle of food that they can't get where they live but dreamed about having and came to this country for, that changes the whole dynamic of school culture. And that's what this is about. We are growing something greater here in the South Bronx. So while I'm very much about ABCDs because it's about school performance, this is the new ABCDs, asset-based community development. But we are not a food education program. We are educating kids aligned to Common Core and content area with food. And that's the beauty of this. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been reading a lot about resilient communities lately. And one of the things that they have in common is something that you're building, and that is a sense of community, somebody that somebody can go to versus feeling isolated. And I think that working with children like this in a group setting and bringing in their parents and grandparents, you're creating such a model of a resilient community. I just wondered if you were aware of that. Well, that's kind of our new mantra. You know, this, the shift of Green Bronze Machine or the focus and mission and vision has shifted through the years, and that's okay. We are evolving just like mankind. But, you know, we believe that healthy students are at the heart of healthy schools, and healthy schools, which means high-performing schools and high-performing students, are at the heart of resilient communities. So what better place to start than ground zero, four stories up in the projects, and a 100-plus-year-old school building in the middle of the housing projects? Yeah. I couldn't be happier, and I couldn't be more at home. Yeah, it's no wonder you were nominated. I mean, one of the top 10 finalists for the Global Teacher Prize. So you OMG, to, to get that, <laughs> I still don't even know who nominated me. There's a whole big theory about that, and I just want to thank them. But, you know, to be on that stage, and it, to me it wasn't about compete, it was about being complete. To be in the company of such wonderful people, such game changers, really is a celebration of who we are and what we are, because teachers change lives. And, you know, we are growing a greater global citizenry. But, you know, I do want to shout out the teachers who don't get mentioned, the teachers who are teaching on earthen floors and under wooden, you know, and then thatched roofs, those without the Internet and those without running water, teachers who are teaching in conflict zones and, and, and crisis areas. Those are the real teachers. Those are the real heroes. And, and we need to celebrate them. But anything that uplifts this profession and makes kids want to grow up and say, I want to be a teacher, as I say, si se puede. I celebrate that. So I'm grateful and humbled and just honored to be in the company of such wonderful people. Yeah, so and meeting Bill Clinton and the Pope was awesome. I got to tell you. Awesome. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit more about this center that you're creating. Now, this is a, a national health wellness and biodiversity center at PS55. And you well, say we're it's... calling it now the National Health Wellness and Learning Center at oh, PS55. Okay. So tell me and a little. What we believe we're creating is the new normal. So it is a former underutilized library that will have, upon completion, 20 vertical commercial towers with over 800 slots of food, which will generate over 100 bags of groceries per week. On the other side, we have uh, solar panels, we have bicycle power generators, we have teaching towers on our tower gardens. So we are both teaching food through Common Core, but on the other side, we're also producing food, you know, at a, on a very large scale volume to kind of, you know, flood the community with healthy, fresh food and teach kids that here at PS55, anything is possible. Well, I'm very impressed with your work. And I think that let's remind our listeners again that you've got a barn raiser and that there's a, a limited amount of time during which you have to raise a set amount of money in order for you to get those funds to realize this center's potential. So we have until when 
We have, I believe, until April 29th. I'm not sure I forget the date because I tend to really focus on the work and not that magic number, although that magic number is important. So please, if you're listening, get on your computer, go to Barn Razor and look up Green Bronx Machine. If you have a handheld phone, just pick up your phone, go to Green Bronx Machine Facebook. There's a link to the Barn Razor campaign there. Make a donation. Make a $5 donation and ask five friends to do the same. We can grow something greater. Um, there are some great perks available. Our favorite perk is this incredible Blendtec blender that has that retails for well over $300. We'll ship it to you for just a $150 tax-free, tax, you know, tax write-off donation. Um, the, the blender is actually built by veterans, so you're supporting workforce development and made in America programming, which to me is very important. But whatever you can do, just like our kids on Facebook, get to our website, greenbronxmachine.org, Green Bronx Machine Facebook, Barn Razor, Green Bronx Machine. Check us out, fall in love, like us, you'll love us, and we'll love you back. Well, and I want to encourage our listeners, too, to go online and listen to your TED Talk. So TED Talk Manhattan, Stephen Ritz. And well, what... I have two. I have one that was from 2012, and you'll see that literally since 2012, and that talk went viral in 2012, I have a new one that just came out literally two weeks ago from 2015 where my kids and I took the stage. And my 2015 TEDx Manhattan talk was perhaps the most resounding standing ovation of my career. And my kids came out and introduced the food that they were growing in school from PS55 to a very appreciative, um, receptive crowd. One of the things that you said that was really hit a chord for me was, I am not willing to accept the things I cannot change. I am going to change what I cannot accept. That is correct. I'm not willing to accept the things I can't change. I'm going to change the things I can't accept. And now that you know more, I expect you to care more. And now that you care more, I expect you to do more. Because I know your listeners and people like us, we're not the people to accept life as it is. And we're not the kind of people to say, oh, life as it could be. We're the ones to make life as it should be. Don't close your eyes and pray, and I have nothing against prayer. Open your eyes, see the good, get involved, do something. Put one foot forward, put one step in front of the other, and be determined to grow something greater. For me, this has been one small change after another. I never set out to grow vegetables, and here I am, 30,000 pounds of vegetables later. Guess what? We're just getting started. Stephen, I'm sure that we could fill another hour talking about the changes that you've seen in these kids, but we just have a minute left, and I wonder if you would like to leave our listeners with a message or a lesson that you've learned that I maybe didn't ask you so that you have a chance to share something more. Well, you know, I've lost 110 pounds simply by eating the food that I grow with kids in school. But no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you do, every day, presents an opportunity to do something great. One student at a time, one classroom at a time, one school at a time, one block at a time, one neighborhood at a time. So get out there, open your eyes, open your heart. Now that you know more, please care more and just try and do a little more. And together, we can all prosper. Let's grow something greater. Nothing gets accomplished with a closed fist. So open your eyes, open your heart, and open your hands. And The biggest prognosticator, you know, all the data suggests one thing, that the biggest prognosticator for child success in life is access to one kind, caring adult. So no one will go broke by caring. So care a little more, do a little more, and together let's grow something greater and make a difference. But if you can and you have the means, please go to our Barn Razor campaign and make a small donation and ask five friends to do the same. Thank you so much for being my guest. And thank no, you. thank you for being such a wonderful host and such a great global citizen. Well, thank you for doing so much to change children's lives. Listeners, if you're, if you're wondering what 
hero we've been speaking with this afternoon. It's Mr. Stephen Ritz. He is a South Bronx educator, administrator, and one of the top ten finalists for the Global Teacher Prize. He's also the genius behind the Green Bronx Machine. In closing, I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia. And again, thank you so much, Mr. Ritz, for all you're doing for your community, for children, for the future, and for taking the time to be my guest. Well, thank you kindly. And remember, together we can all prosper. Si se puede.